Hey, what's going on? It's at the letters for Monday, March 14th. Don't often record on a Monday. Weird to say that. Arden Swelling, Ben Nicholson-Smith, our producers as always, Christian Ryan and Nick Andrade. Thanks to them. Thanks to you for being with us for uh, what feels like an official kickoff, I'd say, to the 2022 ATL season, the 2022 Blue Jays season, which uh, is going to be getting underway a lot quicker than any of us realize, really, with this delayed spring training. Pitchers, catchers, position players, everybody is in Dunedin, Florida, racing to get ready for for this thing. Ben and I are in Toronto right now, but we will be in uh, Dunedin in in the coming weeks and producing some ATL content, so that's going to be really exciting. Really looking forward to that. You know, I I almost don't want to spend too much time on the lockout, Ben, but I feel like we got to touch on it off the top yeah it's funny how quickly the page has turned and all of a sudden like you see these these shots and images from florida from arizona and it's like you just put it in the rear view and you just forget about it but the lockout really did dominate the baseball discourse for 99 days so uh you know cliche question what did we learn (laughs) what came of those 99 bitter demoralizing days that we spent locked out yeah, they were not the best 99 days to be a Blue Jays fan, to be a baseball fan. I think that's pretty clear. Then now that you start seeing the arrivals of Kevin Gosman and Jose Barrios, even you know Josh Donaldson showing up in pinstripes, it's a reminder that's what we're anticipating and looking forward to this time of year. And it is great to be back into that zone. But of course, you know the lockout was was a massive event, a massive experience for all those players, and of course for the owners as well. Pretty significant and. I think we learned a lot. I think that at the end of it, I mean, it's it's great that it's done. It's great that it's over. I think the players made some real strides. I mean, we're ta- not talking seats on buses here. We're talking about additional money for young players. We're talking about significant raises in the CBT. These are big things. So the players made some gains. The owners added some revenue streams. This was never a zero-sum game. It's possible for both sides to come out ahead and to make gains. And I do think that that's what happened here. And the players were never going to claw back like yeah, enormous gains, right? The gains were always going to be, uh, you know, marginal in nature, I guess. Because that's just like, that's just the nature of the beast and what you go through. Um, you know, I can't say that I feel tremendous coming out of it. I can't say that I, uh, you know, feel particularly positive about the whole thing. I mean, you think about it, man, like they didn't go over the cliff, but they came right up to the edge of the cliff. I mean, I know we saw a lot of deadlines being thrown around in the the days preceding the end of the lockout. And obviously a lot of those were false deadlines. But like, do you agree with me that, I mean, this thing was within 12 hours of like very serious cancellations of regular season games, really eating into the schedule and getting to a point where we were going to have a conversation about not only parada pay, but service time that was going to be like a really big hinge in these discussions and really could have made this something that lasted a lot longer than it did. There's no doubt that we were close to that. I think you look at the way the votes fell and, you know, as the votes were coming in, this is on Thursday, it feels like things have shifted so quickly, like it feels so distant already almost, Um, but it was only Thursday. The votes were coming in. I was hearing some things from people about some no's coming in and the executive council voted Everyone on the executive council, including Max Scherzer, Marcus Semyon, they all voted no. They wanted to continue bargaining. They wanted to find a way to reach an even better deal 
for the players from their standpoint. And so there's no question that we were close to the players rejecting that proposal. There, much of their leadership wanted them to reject that proposal. And instead, they ended up accepting it. I, I think you're right to say that the players were never going to destroy the Major League Baseball negotiating team. It's just, it's not a group of individuals that you are going to destroy in a negotiation. You can make some slight gains. You can make it improved for sure in a meaningful way. And I think they did that. But, you know, just in the same way that the union wasn't about to be crushed, it was too strong for that. You're not going to crush the MLB owners in a negotiation either. So they did make some gains and that's something. Man, and the owners are so good at this, aren't they? Yeah. Like, it's not, it's it's sort of why I come away feeling so, like, I don't know. I don't want to be too pessimistic about it or, like, uh, cynical or dystopian about it. But when the owners brought up that international draft issue right at, at the end there, right? And this is on the heels of everything, you know, the entire script, the ownership side had run up to that point from, you know, the lockout which was the owner's lockout in the first place to the, what was it? 43 days before their first proposal to the very marginal incremental increases in proposals after that, which just satisfied like the legal definition of bargaining in, 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 uh, in good faith to, um, you know, a lot of the, uh, you know, like just kind of 11th hour things that would get snuck into proposals that the players like, and then, yeah, the international draft with, which came around, which was like diabolical, Man, like just bringing that up at the 11th hour, like it was so devious. And like, I look, man, I guess kind of brilliant if you really love labor law and you really love, uh, you know, cold hearted negotiation. What a great way to divide the union if that's what you're looking to do, right? To split it along some really sensitive cultural lines in a way that also leverages a group of players who aren't even members of the union like and may never be members of the union in a way that sort of throws under the bus a bunch of people who don't even have a seat at the table for the owners to just like hammer that wedge right between a percentage of of the union that came up through the international system and lived those experiences right and like fought their way into the game through immense hardship and uh like frankly often exploitation and to just like wedge them from you know the the group that grew up with a lot more privilege in North America and came through you know the amateur North American draft maybe they went to Vanderbilt on a full scholarship and those individuals are thinking like well what do I care about an international draft it was just so devious and brilliant and uh, it's kind of lost history right like we're not going to talk about it anymore that that came up when it came up, but that really just sort of represented the greater whole of how I felt about the whole process, which was like, man, this is a, a dystopian thing that, that we just went through. Yeah. And it didn't get as bad as it could have, for sure, which is a relief, uh, you know, to twice go through the experience of Major League Baseball canceling games, you know, an announcement from Rob Manfred, these games have been canceled. That happened twice, you know, that's pretty serious stuff. And then, like you said, the international draft at the end there, I mean, it really, I think there's no doubt that every move that the owners made in this process was uh, planned and it was not an accident. They are very strategic and their strategy led them to a good outcome that will benefit the owners. But as you say, in the international draft, I actually think, and this is from talking to some people who are much more experienced in that realm, um, in those countries and in those cultures than I am, but 
my impression is from having those conversations that the international draft is not necessarily a bad thing. Like the current system is completely corrupt. It, it does not benefit the people that it is designed to benefit. You have 12 and 13 year old children being scouted by these scouts. You have these buscones acting as middlemen, taking massive cuts of the bonuses that should go to the players basically pre-selling these deals when they're 12 or 13, then reselling them at 16. Like It is an awful system. It is corrupt. It does not benefit the people it's intended to benefit. And there are a lot of people at the end of that whole process that sit there with no education, no real bonus to speak of, and they're kind of at a loss because not everyone ends up being Fernando Tatis Jr. or Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So you know, with that being said, there are different ways to approach that. And the 11th hour tosses into the negotiations. You know, is that the best way? I mean, at the same time, this isn't the first time it's been broached as a topic either. So a lot of kind of complications and nuance there. Like I was really in the weeds with this stuff the last couple of weeks. And I did enjoy, you know, diving into it. But it's not as fun as the actual Major League Baseball. Yeah, but what's so devious about it is that the owners then put it on the players to correct that system like why is this the fault of the union mlb has allowed this to happen through decades and decades of neglect and and you could say the same thing about service time manipulation right they they make it to the point that players have to seek concessions for these loopholes that owners are exploiting but you know if those loopholes didn't exist in the first place or if they weren't exploited in the first place then players wouldn't have to use some of their bargaining power to pull back against something like service time manipulation yeah it's not like there isn't you know a rule against that like they you know owners have just kind of found the gray area in the loophole and the like there isn't it's not it's not like there isn't a rule against what we're seeing in the international market like it's a complete farce that at 12.01 a.m. every July 2nd, there is this wave of deals that just instantly come into place between two parties that technically weren't allowed to engage with one another prior to that. I mean, MLB just hasn't enforced its rules. So like by inserting the international draft into this negotiation at the 11th hour, MLB just put the union in a position like where they where players had to be the ones who considered the future of like, like you said, of this really crooked and unethical system but like hang on a second this is your system like why are you putting this on us like you are in charge of this we are just the products of it like we didn't institute it we don't police it that is your job but now it's going to be our fault as players if it continues unabated because we rejected an international draft or if we do agree to an international draft well we might have just like alienated a very significant portion of our membership and weakened our union is diabolical, man. What a movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of angles to that when you got people like David Ortiz trying to lobby to essentially keep it in place. Uh, now we know that that will no longer be the case. And, you know, just to, we'll, we'll get to the big league Blue Jays portion of, probably of ACL, of course. Yeah. I'm getting angry again going over this <laughs> yeah. stuff. Go ahead. I mean, hey, if any fan is, or, or a baseball observer is, is frustrated after 99 days of this, totally understandable this is it for five years this is the last yes. last lockout talk for five years so and the, we're getting it out of our system tie a bow on it that's right before we move back to 40-man roster considerations and and, and pitching and <laughs> hitting right. and the rest of it it's that season but with the jays you look at gabriel moreno we were talking about this with ben badler a few weeks ago but moreno 
Vlad Guerrero Jr. or Relvis Martinez. They've been so good in that market. It's a messed up market, but you got to play within the rules or I guess outside of the rules in this case. You have to you have to compete. You have to operate in the reality of the constraints that exist. And the Jays have done an excellent job of that. Now, I don't think that'll change because fundamentally what that comes down to is assessing these young players, whether that's for a draft or for a free agent bonus is really secondary. But it's interesting because that really has been a strength of Andrew Tinnish and the Blue Jays in recent years. No, yeah, absolutely. An international draft would probably hurt the Blue Jays a little bit, right? Because the Blue Jays have done a really good job on the international market. And so, and they wouldn't be able to sort of, you know, although now even with, with the hard caps, you, there's a limit to the resources, yeah. right? They'll be can fine. use. And the Blue Jays have had less resources recently because they've been going out and signing big time free agents like George Springer. We don't know actually yet what's going to happen with the international draft. The two sides just kind of like kicked it down the road and that's going to be tied to uh, the qualifying offers system. And oh boy, like putting values on on those two things and how that's going to line up is not a discussion I even want to enter into right now, Ben. But this does relate a little bit to just what tangibly has come out of this new CBA and how it impacts the Blue Jays. So there's yeah. you know, the international market there. No games lost in 2022 is like is is a big one for the Blue Jays because <laughs> think about teams that have were withstood to to be hurt the most by the cancellation of regular season games in 2022. I can't think of a team that would have stood to lose more than the Toronto Blue Jays coming off of the last two years that that they've had like you, you think about it like the blue jays have not been in toronto really at all they're in toronto for like two months played i think i calculated it in a piece of something like 85 percent of their games over the last two years been played outside of toronto so like they have not been at home they have been playing in minor league ballparks they have been dealing with like trying to make those places feel like home they've been spending millions of dollars to retrofit those places they have been pouring money into payroll and pouring money into a new player development complex at a time when there is very little revenue coming in so clearly outspending the revenue coming in this is a club that would love to get the turnstiles going at rogers center and to start enjoying some gates and uh you know seeing some more money coming in to support the spending that we've seen this is a young emergent team like one that is a legitimate postseason contender one that you know has very strong world series odds one that hasn't been connected to its city for a couple of years and so for for all those reasons and more for the blue jays to have like slowly watched the 2022 regular season bleed away if the CBA had continued, would have been excruciating and painful. So it is an extreme positive that the Blue Jays are getting 162 in 2022. Oh, man, that's the big one. That's really the big takeaway from this. I mean, you, as you say, there is no team in baseball that has taken more hits and faced more challenges in the last couple of years than the Toronto Blue Jays because they were not able to play at home. So they lost a huge home field advantage i mean this these toronto crowds can be really supportive they can really help totally disappeared or almost entirely disappeared in the last two years vlad jr now entering his fourth major league season he's played in toronto for never for a full season not once this will be his first full season in toronto so fans will get to connect with vlad and with Bo and springer and barrios and gosman kikuchi i mean the whole team will be there for the first time so that's massive then 
you couple that with the fact that, okay, so they kind of had this home field disadvantage for a long time, right? For two years. Now they're going to have a home field advantage and not because, not (laughs) only because of the fans, but let's face it, this vaccination policy is, the intention is to keep Canadians safe, right? It's a a healthcare policy. But the reality is it's really going to help the Toronto Blue Jays because there are very good players on the Red Sox and Yankees and the names will come out soon if they haven't already. I mean, Arden, I think you probably i'm sure i've heard the same rumblings that i have as far as some very big names on the yankees and red sox Mm -hmm. that will not be able to play and so you know if you take let's say it's 20 games right so 20 games against your biggest rivals between the yankees and red sox in toronto it'll be 19 or 20 games and so if they are without some of their biggest stars meanwhile the jays have their fans back for the first time vlad jr is enjoying his first season in toronto like and then you look at the fact that the jays roster is good it's a recipe for the jays just to have a really good memorable season i think they're one of the best teams in baseball and they're not done so it'll be interesting to see the last time the blue jays had a true like sellout packed rogers center because remember they only were up to fifteen thousand and then thirty thousand. Last year, last time they had like a true like 45, 46,000 fans at Rogers Center was like 30 months ago. It's an insane amount of time. And wow. you mentioned, yeah, the the vaccination policy. And like, yes, look, it's important to note as well, like this could change. It's possible Canada yeah. opens its borders to, you know, to the unvaccinated, to, to certain unvaccinated individuals at some point. Like we've seen, we've already seen a fairly dramatic easing of yeah. pandemic uh, mitigation efforts of late when it comes to vaccine passports and masking capacity limits, things like that. But like as it stands right now, yeah, not only are those teams going to be without those players, those players, unvaccinated players, are going to be without their salary and service time yeah. for those missed games either. Um, and yeah, the salaries of some of the players that we're talking about, like this, yeah, it's going to be a substantial hit. But you know, with the context of everything that we just said about what the Blue Jays have been through over the last two years, as it relates to the Blue Jays, I think they're just shrugging their shoulders and just saying, like, too bad. <laughs> like, sorry, that's your problem. That's not ours. We just spent the last two seasons dealing with this, right? Like, we held summer camp in 2020 in a bubble at Rogers Center. Didn't know where we were going to play until, like, the final days of that thing. Then we went and played at Meyer League stadiums and spent millions to retrofit them with, like, adequate lighting and facilities. We were on a road trip for, like, the first four months of 2021. We haven't had a true home game with a full ballpark in nearly 30 months. Like... I think the Blue Jays look at it as like tough luck. Like we don't have a lot of sympathy for the Yankees or Red Sox after what we've been through since March 2020. That's your problem. Oh, 100 percent. I mean, there's also an easy solution to that problem, but that's yeah, a topic yeah, for that another too. day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think um, yeah, for the Jays, that's you know, they're finally just being able to return home. This is gonna be it's gonna be great. I think it'll be really fun to see big crowds, you know, roof open full houses i'm sure and yeah it's it's gonna be a lot of baseball in a short period of time like we've we've gone not only with the lockout but you know you think back for for you and me arden as people covering the team like i'm thinking back now is almost it might actually be to the day two years that i was in dunedin florida and then you know all right let's get back hop on a plane with no masks and in a pandemic and just get back home 
and then haven't been to Florida since. So, you know, you mentioned we'll both be down there. We'll be doing some ATLs from down there. So definitely stay with us for that. A lot of exciting things coming down the pipe. But, you know, it's it's kind of remarkable. You think about that's that's us. That's our experience covering the team. It's been very limited. But of course, that's that's true for for fans, too. I mean, there are tons of Jays fans out there who didn't make their annual road trip down to Toronto for a for a ball game last year or who just chose not to go to the Rogers Center because of, of COVID restrictions or reasons or whatever the case. I think they're going to come back this year and it'll be it'll feel really different because we haven't seen it full for Vlad and Bo. You know, we've the last time we saw it full, it was like. You know, I guess the Stroman, Sanchez, Marco Estrada, Josh Donaldson, Batista era, which feels like a long time ago right now. Yeah, and it might be full for Donaldson again this year, which is yep. uh, going to be interesting. Maybe we'll talk about that in the second half when we get into kind of the nitty gritty of what's been going on around baseball. Let's just wrap up this this first half with a couple of the CBA implications for uh, for the Blue Jays expanded postseason. Twelve teams. This year, um, we kind of went over this on a previous episode. Like, look, the Blue Jays are pl- they're positioning themselves to win the division. They're trying to win the division. So it doesn't impact them quite as much as it would have like those early mid 2000s teams that were winning like 85 to 87 games. But still gives you more margin for error, man. Like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has to miss two months or Bobichet goes through a big slump or, you know, Alec Manoa isn't what you thought he was going to be. Whatever. Like if, if some things go wrong, the error bars are just increased where you can still get into the postseason and starting next year 2023 more balanced schedule which is going to mean for the blue jays fewer games against al east opposition more games against uh everybody else that is only a benefit for the toronto blue jays because playing in the al east the rays are just pretty much always going to be good the Yankees and the Red Sox are always going to spend a bunch of money, always going to have resources to paper over holes on their rosters. They, you know, have a real mandate to contend perennially in their markets, as all teams do, but they actually behave like it. That can only help if the Blue Jays have less games against those teams and more games against some of the uh, soft competition in other divisions. Oh, yeah. I think it's really good news for the entire AL East. And it's bad news for the central and it's bad news for the West. Like if you're, I'm just thinking of like, you know, and I guess you pair it with the 12 team playoffs. So that's good for everyone. You know, as kind of an aside, I love the 12 team playoffs. I wasn't ready for 14. I understand. And I've heard from some people, some smart people that, Hey, you know, there's a strong case for 14. I get that. And maybe I'll be thinking about it differently in five years, but for now I think 12 is perfect. That's great. And you know, so that opens things up for teams like, say, the Guardians that might be on the fringe or even, you know, the Twins that are making some interesting moves. Like, could they sneak in? It's a little bit more easy to imagine. But now that the schedule is about to shift in 2023 to that more balance, that's just going to be long term good for the Blue Jays. So I think the Jays have reason to be really pleased with the CBA overall. Just the fact that it's 12 teams is good. The fact that the schedule balancing is is definitely good for them. The one thing you do look at is the CBT and going up to 230. Jays are not going to be there. Yankees probably are. Red Sox often will be. So, you know, that's something to be mindful of because, you know, the Yankees, that's, that's a lot of extra money um, for them to be able to work with. But you got to beat the Yankees. That's part of the, the reality of life in the AL East, and it's nothing new for the Jays. And the interesting thing, and this is many, many years away, but MLB is kind of slowly easing its way towards, I would say, expansion and yeah. realignment 
Um, yep. When you think about DH in both leagues now, the schedule is getting more balanced. I do think, I don't think it's imminent, but somewhere down the road, like the kind of the tracks are being laid to add two teams and blow up the divisions. That would only help the Blue Jays. And I don't know when that happens, but I do think some of these moves portend that happening in the future. So I do think there is more benefit down the road. Yeah, I think my understanding is expansion wasn't directly tied to these talks at all. But hey, I, you know, you look at it just logically, it, it makes all the sense in the world to go to 32. Maybe at that point, you expand the playoffs a little bit or switch the format a little bit. You're looking at 14 divisions. You know, hopefully for Canadian baseball fans, there's Montreal in that equation too, because that would be awesome. And last thing I'll say about expanded postseason, it does make it more imperative to make your roster as strong as possible going into the year because there's likely to be fewer sellers, I think. At the deadline, there will always be sellers, but I think there will be fewer because there will be more teams that are like, well, if things break right for us, like we might just sneak in right with an expanded playoff field. So I think it's imperative on the Blue Jays to build the strongest possible roster to begin the season, and it's also imperative, and we talked about this a ton coming off of 2021, it is imperative to have urgency in season to upgrade. If your bullpen is blowing leads and getting throttled in may and you are losing games that oh i don't know if you happen to miss the playoffs by one game you're going to look back at with a lot of regret does that sound relatable to anybody you need to have the urgency to make upgrades right then and there we've been over it simber richards didn't come soon enough they came just too late if there is a way to attach a higher value prospect to bring an adam simber in earlier in the season and address a present need you need to have that urgency and you need to operate with that urgency. The value for the trade might not be as strong as you want it to be. You might lose the trade on fan graphs, but you might not lose your season at the end of it. So I think that urgency has to be something that you know the Blue Jays really operate with early in the season if things aren't going their way. Yeah, I agree with that. I think also you look at the, just the importance of depth and I'm looking at a schedule that's going to be compressed. I'm looking at... You know, fewer off days, more double headers, uh, a shortened spring even. So your starting pitchers might not be totally stretched out. Man, you need to have a lot of arms in particular. They might expand rosters by one or two for the month of April, in which they case, should. all right. Yeah, so you have a Thomas Hatch around. But I mean, that's really not going to totally change things. Um, you still need just good major league depth. And the Jays actually, in my opinion, are pretty well positioned on that front with more work to do. But it is, it's, yeah, it's imperative. I mean, you just need, you're going to see teams by the middle of May just gassed with the bullpens that are tired and rotations that are in, in shambles. And you might be able to get away with that in a, in a format with 12 teams in the playoffs, but you don't want to push your luck. Like the Jays need to make the playoffs this year. This isn't a, oh, it would be nice if they don't make the playoffs. That's their season wasn't a success. Like, I think that's pretty clear. Well, it seems like they're having that sort of roster expansion discussion amongst the GMs. And I don't know what GM is right now is going to say like, yeah, no, I don't want this extra roster spot. Like, I think it would be a benefit to everybody. I think it's obvious you did in 2020. You can do it again. It can only be for the first month, first two months, whatever. Like, I think that's going to be imperative. And because look, what did we learn from 2020? That in a condensed spring, when players are rushing through their throwing programs and increasing stress and intensity at a rate that they, you know, aren't accustomed to, 
well, the injury rate goes through the roof. We saw yeah. that in 2020. I don't think it would be a surprise to see it again in 2021. Like I do think that, you know, the injury apocalypse 2.0 may be upon us uh, here as we <laughs> ramp through this, this spring training. And as a starter in the spring, you might get three, four starts four yeah. like at the most. I don't know if that's going to be enough for some guys. Everybody's different, right? Some guys can get get ready and get going really quickly and they're just naturally more durable than others. And other guys need a much more purposeful and deliberate and gradual buildup. So I think we're going to see a lot more injuries in, in April and, and May or in, in the first two months of the season, just as we did in, in 2020. Injury apocalypse 2.0. Heard it here first. It's coming your way. <laughs> That's right. Uh, let's step away. But when we come back, we get into the uh, the nitty gritty of how the Blue Jays are uh, finishing off their their off season work in this condensed spring training and what might happen next. All that and so much more when we continue on at the letters. It continues on at the letters Arden Zwelling, Ben Nicholson, Smith, our producers are Nick Andrade and Christian Ryan. Ben, you say Kikuchi. It's not official just yet. I believe he's doing his physical today in Dunedin, but it will probably be official by the time people are listening to this. Uh, has agreed to terms on a three-year, $36 million deal with the Toronto Blue Jays on the other side of the lockout. Your thoughts, Ben, on the signing? I like it. I think at a time that you can't have enough pitching, adding another good pitcher is just good. And you say Kikuchi is a good pitcher. To me, it kind of replaces Steven Matz. Like that's, I think, the easiest way to look at this. It's like Gosman is your Robbie Ray replacement. And you've got Kikuchi is kind of your Steven Matz replacement, lefty back end starter. And the replacement for Marcus Semien is probably still to come. They'll need a bat. So you look at Kikuchi and he was a bat. He has been a back end starter. This is a guy the Jays liked a lot before he signed with Seattle in 2019. Scouted him extensively. They were in talks with his representation at that point. Whether an offer was made, not sure, but they definitely liked him. And he performed okay with the Mariners. Not great. He had an amazing first half to 2021. Then totally fell off the map. All kinds of hard contact allowed. Ran into a, a lot of trouble. Really bad finish to the season. So. Then he becomes a free agent, and the price here is just pretty reasonable. I mean, it's twelve million bucks a year. That's uh, you know basically the same AAV as Matt's, a little bit more for one less year. And to me, Kikuchi brings you a little bit more upside than Matt's. I think both of them, from a performance standpoint, you know, probably project similarly. But when Matt's is on, he looks like a number four or five starter who's on, and when Kikuchi's on, he looks like a two or three. Yeah, I think that you and I have been agree too often on things, but like I really can't disagree with literally <laughs> yeah. anything you just said. Like you took the words right out of my mouth. Like it is so Matsish. It's crazy. What was Steven Matz coming off of 2020 into 2021? A left-hander with a hard fastball, some really useful secondary stuff who clearly needed to make adjustments to mitigate hard contact and keep the ball in the yard that's you say kikuchi man. yeah that's exactly what he is uh because make no bones about it he was a below average mlb starter last season um and that's because of his disastrous second half when he had trouble maintaining his velocity trouble maintaining his spin rates walk rates and home run rates went up 
he allowed like just like his contact management was atrocious allowed all kinds of hard contact like this is the classic blue jays taking a guy off of a really down year with some really useful stuff getting them working with their pitching department working with pete walker and matt bushman but we know it's not just them it is the cast of thousands of nerds behind the scenes with their spreadsheets and their databases saying hey uh you should actually throw this splitter a lot more often or that change up to right is really effective let's use it here your fastball you've been using here in the zone let's actually use it over here in the zone it's going to play a lot better off of this secondary if you set up that pitch with your fastball here in the zone so it's going to be about taking these ideas that i promise you the blue jays have for you say kikuchi distilling them like making them relatable and having the guys like Pete Walker and Matt Bushman who are in the trenches relay that to Kikuchi in a way that's digestible. So you're not just overwhelming him with, with information and ideas. So you give him something he can actually like execute on and go out and um, improve and get the job done on the mound and maybe end up with Steven Matz like results. Cause that's what the Blue Jays did with Steven Matz and Steven Matz had the season that he did and then went for four years, $44 million with the St. Louis Cardinals, kind of interesting, pretty similar AAV to what Kikuchi got, just a little bit more term. Um, Anthony Desclafani also got this like three-year, $36 million guarantee. So that speaks to how the Blue Jays feel about, you say, Kikuchi, and there's no guarantee that you know the suggestions they bring to him and the tweaks and adjustments that they give him are going to work. Remember, the Blue Jays pitching group really liked Rafael Delisa's splitter. They really liked Shun Yamaguchi's splitter as well. You know, those ones didn't go so well, but there is a strong track record here from this group of identifying pitchers with untapped upside and who can unlock some of their obvious potential with some tweaks and some refinements and some adjustments. So it's going to be really interesting just to watch that process play out over the, you know, the, the first few starts of the Yusei Kikuchi era in Toronto. For sure. You know, and I think that, it's already a baseline of being a useful major league starter. So, you know, even if Pete Walker and Matt Bushman and company just totally whiff and there's nothing, they just, they come up with zero, then all right, you still have a useful major leaguer, someone who can take the ball every five days when someone else is hurt or to get you through those, those double headers where you're playing two nine inning double headers and then six games in a row. Like you're going to need a lot of starting pitching and Yusei Kikuchi is someone who has at least been able to to take the ball, um, even in in a year that was distinctly mixed. And like you say, the contact issues are real. First percentile for contact allowed. That's as in the wrong end of the spectrum to be on. Um, so that's I'm first. Not what I'm like number one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got to clarify that one. So it's uh, there's some work to do clearly, but. He's, uh, I think, on a three-year, $36 million deal. It makes a lot of sense. Like, you know, I will just add, Rodon signed the day before 44 over two, and I love that deal for the Giants. I wonder if the Jays ran on Rodon, both Boris clients, by the way. Jays continue dealing with Scott Boris and making deals with him and deals that work for everyone. But I wonder if they're in on Rodon. Don't know, but uh, they got Kikuchi, and he's going to help. Yeah, Rodon also gets himself an opt-out in that deal. So you always like that when when you're a player. Um, the other... Addition we've seen the Blue Jays make to this point in what is sort of offseason 2.0 is uh, Andrew Vasquez uh, out of the bullpen, kind of a, a funky curveball first pitcher, huge movement on the breaking ball. Obviously, as with all guys like that, it kind of comes down to his ability to command it. But he's had a ton of strikeouts over his time as a pro. 
You don't love the walks, but that's probably to be expected with his approach. It's kind of interesting. He has a minor league option remaining, so he could go up and down. It is a big league deal, but the Blue Jays could option him. Obviously, they have to be careful with some of their option decisions this year because you can only option a guy five times now, and uh, he has to actually stay only. down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, they'll find the loopholes, right? Yeah, yeah. He has to stay down for 15 days unless somebody gets injured. Well, yeah, you could probably find a reason for somebody to get injured and end up on the IL. But IL stints are 15 days now as well. So, you know, there are implications here. It's not as easy as just Hunjin Ryu goes on the IL for 10 days and only misses one start. Uh, you know, it's not so easy anymore. But, you know, after Kikuchi, after Vasquez, do you think the Blue Jays are done on the pitching side? Do you think there is more pitching to come? We know they're going to add an infielder but do you think there's more pitching to come i do think so i think they should continue to add i I will say that you know we've talked extensively over the course of the lockout um and even before that about the a's and the reds and obviously sonny gray's been traded to the twins chris bassett's been traded to the mets but you still have montas in oakland you've still got castillo and mali in cincinnati there are you know some different moves that you could look at i don't see the jays actively pursuing a high cost established starting pitcher in trade at this point i think they've probably got their five plus pearson plus stripling and thornton and hatch and k so from a pitching depth standpoint you know not to jinx anybody here they're (laughs) going to need more than just those names that i listed but i think you're probably slowing down there and the bullpen would be the logical place like if you're going to allocate big dollars and 40 man spots too are becoming a premium too you know when you think yeah. about vasquez and, and kikuchi both going on now now some il stuff could could shift around there but to me long story short i do think there's room to add a reliever and i think there's a need i mean for all the reasons that we talk about with respect to starting pitching just how many innings you're going to have to get through expanded playoffs you get there great you play a three-game series need to have good relievers to get through a three-game series and as you said off the top I don't think we're going to see as many sellers. So a lot of reason to go out there right now and be aggressive on Kenley Jansen, Colin McHugh, and others. Yeah, I think there's big time reason to add still to this bullpen, which may seem a little counterintuitive, as you said, like a lot of names in that bullpen mix right now, even non-roster names like David Phelps involved in there. But I just don't think you can build out enough depth this season so you know as you mentioned like call McHugh is a guy that uh you know the more i think about him the more i I look into him and what he's done on the mound the more i think he would be an absolutely tremendous fit for for this team and obviously it's going to come down to value and what he's looking for i mean kenley jansen obviously i mean you know this is a guy who has some of the most elite stuff as a back-end relief weapon in baseball obviously getting to sort of the the end of his career it would seem but still undeniably really useful and really really difficult to square up um you mentioned oakland call them about lou trevino see what's going on there see if they want to move him right that could be an option for you there's still like an Andrew Chafin and a Ryan Tapera on the free agent market like there's still a lot of options out there which is why I think the Blue Jays are probably okay with letting the relief market come to them a little bit and kind of finding the value and you know I I don't know that they're going to go out and overextend themselves for somebody unless they really really do like somebody but you know i don't know it's kind of interesting i was looking at guys like adam Ottavino and and brad boxberger's dudes with like really interesting fastballs and and like just really useful kind of pitch characteristics like stuff that the blue jays have liked in the past and the blue jays have let those guys go on to other organizations and and you know haven't gone and you know made a deal there so i wonder if the blue jays are, are kind of willing to be patient on the relief market 
right now, but you know, I agree with you again, I do think there is still another pitcher to be added here before, uh, you know, spring training is, is through. Yeah. It's, it's interesting too. And you look at the types of additions the Jays have made so far. And so it's all been pitching basically, and it's all been through free agency. If you're talking about Gosman, Yimmy Garcia, and of course, Kikuchi now and Vasquez. So you're looking at using money. Um, so they've still got their trade chips that existed going into the off season and they have spent, you know, a decent chunk of money. Now I still think there's more. I think that you look at this team's payroll, it's already up there depending on, you know, how exactly you're calculating it at this point looks to be over 150 already and potentially well over that by the time the offseason's done. I mean, we could be talking by the time the season's done about a record payroll for the Blue Jays. I think their record currently is around 160, 170. Wouldn't be surprised to see it go over that because they do remain in talks with big name players. Like even after adding Kikuchi, they're still out there canvassing the market. They're still out there seeing what the options are, as you would expect. And I don't think they're done. Yeah, pretty interesting that, you know, payroll coming off of what we were saying earlier in the podcast about the lack of revenue this team has enjoyed over the last couple of years. Yeah. And like, look, you listen, you listen to this podcast long enough, you know, we don't like cry poor for any ownership. And we think that all MLB clubs ought to be spending like more on, on player salaries. But yeah, the Blue Jays have not seen much revenue in a very long time. And they have been sending a bunch of money out the door, not only on payroll and like record contracts and free agency and extension of Jose Brios, but also retrofitting minor league stadiums that, I mean, you're just, you're just leaving that stuff behind, you know, you know, the Blue Jays aren't going to be playing in Buffalo and Dunedin any longer. Um, you're also, you know, st- building the PDC, which there's a lot of taxpayer money that went into that as well, but the a Blue lot. Jays, <laughs> the Blue Jays have made significant investment there too. So it's interesting to see that, you know, the payroll has continued to be sustained at a pretty high level and yeah, keeps going higher um you know i i wonder like i do think there is still a trade here like i still think it just makes sense for the blue jays to be involved in the trade and i wonder if that's how they address their need for an infielder at this point you know i don't know will the chris bryant bidding get like just a little too steep for the blue jays you know for trevor story like he, he the guy wants to be a shortstop right like if he was willing to play third base for a season on a Marcus Simeon type of deal, like one year, 20, $22 million, whatever, reestablish your value. The Blue Jays would be all over it. I don't know if Trevor Story is going to be all over that, but who knows, man, like you get through spring training here. Maybe he starts getting a little squirrely if he doesn't have a deal and there aren't shortstop needy teams and he's not seeing like the Baez deal that he thinks that he can go get. Maybe he takes a Simeon type of situation going forward, but I don't think that's, or I don't know that that's on the table right now for the blue jays so you know beyond them i wonder if they go out via trade and like the names are obvious jose ramirez Cattell Marte, matt chapman um you know you could look at some some more like non-obvious trade targets like jd davis with with the mets like i wonder if you know you could shake him loose there or um you know you could do dd gregorius from the phillies i've wondered a lot about a randall gritchick for dd gregorius framework that could make sense with the contracts being exchanged um and then you wonder too if the blue jays actually add an outfielder through free agency connected to cal schwarber a little bit i still think michael conforto would be a great fit again on the simian type deal short term high aav bring in a left-handed bat that gets on base at a great clip and then you know use some of your current outfield uh personnel to address the infield via trade i think that's still very much a possibility for the blue jays as well 
Yeah, I like Conforto and Schwarber a lot. I think Conforto, if you can get him on a one-year deal, love that. Schwarber, you're probably not getting on a one-year deal. But, you know, three years, I mean, I, I, I part of me thinks, man, the Kendrys Morales lesson, we got we to gotta learn that lesson. <laughs> but part of me says, you also need to have good bats. And the Jays need another good bat. And Kyle Schwarber is that. So I think he makes sense. He would make them better in 2022. And this season matters. And so I think that, yeah, Schwarber, Conforto, lefty bats, those guys are both really interesting. But, you know, among that group, like you listed a lot of names there. Some bigger names, some smaller names. Does anyone like out of the bigger name infielders or position players, do any of those guys seem like easier to envision in Toronto than others? Like if there if there was one or two that you could actually see ending up here? So the big names as far as infield on the free agent market, it's really just Brian and Story, correct? It's, if you want to talk big names. I mean, and, and assuming like Freddie Freeman would, would you know, technically oh, yeah. be an infielder. But, um, yeah. you know, the Freeman one to me is never really, I don't know. I'm sure the Jays have done their diligence. I also just think he's going to end up in Los Angeles or Atlanta. But maybe I'll be wrong, but I just think it's LA or Atlanta for Freeman. Right. So we're really just talking about Brian's story free agent wise. Yeah. And then trade wise, I mean, we all like assume that there would be a way to pry away a Jose Ramirez or a Cattell Marte, but we don't actually know. Right. Well, I guess Carlos Correa is a pretty big infield free agent. Oh, good point. <laughs> yes, about we that mention him. Yeah. The best of the <laughs> yeah. bunch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know him. Uh, yeah. His market's going to be really interesting. Right. Because like he's like Corey Seager, like just kind of like set this standard. Um, that he would now want to surpass. And I saw the Ken Rosenthal bit the other day about, well, oh yeah, maybe he'll take one year uh, at a super high AAV, Korea would, which would uh, be really interesting. I mean, that would have to be in excess of the Scherzer deal, I imagine. That would be kind of like a a really fascinating thing to happen. I I doubt it. Like I imagine that, you know, that's just to kind of drum up some interest. And I'm sure that, well, I, I bet that there is still a very substantial long-term deal out there for Carlos Correa. Don't know that I see the Blue Jays signing it. So I don't know. To get back to your question, I mean, Bryant, right? Yeah. I mean, I just know if, if story comes down to what the Blue Jays are willing to pay, sure. And if he's willing to play third base, short-term high AAV, sure, let's do it. But yeah, Bryant probably. Yeah, because with Story, too, there's even some concern around his arm. So it's like, would he have to play second in that case? And then you're doing Espinal and Biggio at third. Espinal looks, you know, to be in really good shape, by the way. So that's a good sign for the Jays. But, you know, it's still a long season. So, yeah, with with Story, it's tricky. I really don't see Story's market fall, collapsing. Like, I, th- I look at the Angels. I look at the Mariners, the Phillies, Yankees. I mean, I know they got kind of Falefa, but, you know, th- that infield to me... I don't know, defensively, it poses some questions with the Donaldson acquisition. You've got Donaldson, Glaber Torres, and like Voigt or LeMahieu. Is that going to be a good defensive infield? I mean, I don't know, but it's tricky. There are a lot of moving pieces here. I'm not sure that I have like an easy answer for who I think they would get. I could almost see Matt Chapman just because we know he's available right. and we know that the Jays have pieces that could appeal to Oakland. Like, I'm not saying you build it around Zach Logue and Kevin Smith, but those would be really nice secondary pieces to be going back. And then maybe you add in a reliever too and you do all your shopping in one spot. So that's one thing I could look at. But Schwarber too, like they like Schwarber. That's an interesting one. I wonder if we have to almost realign expectations a little bit because I wonder if the infield addition is perhaps a little underwhelming, which like I threw, <laughs> I've, I'm throwing out Didi Gregorius a bunch and people, the Blue Jays 
acquire him. People are going to look at his statistics last year and um, not have a fun time of doing that. And then the other one, and you mentioned learning lessons or lack thereof, Jonathan VR. It seems like the Blue Jays have not learned much of a lesson from the Jonathan VR experience of 2020. Man, I cannot recall tuning into more moments of a player getting picked off or caught stealing than, <laughs> than Jonathan VR. Well, my distinct memory of him is him packing up his stuff out of the dugout and walking into the clubhouse. And we were not there. We were not there in the clubhouse at that time. We did not have the opportunity to ask questions of VR or his teammates on or off the record. This is one of those times where I would have loved to have access to actually understand what happened. But we do know that he was removed from a game. I think he was pinch hit for... Then he went to the dugout, took his stuff, and left into the clubhouse, which does not scream good teammates. So, you know, we'll see. I was not impressed by Jonathan VR from what I saw of him in 2020. I was very underwhelmed, but he's had a very successful big league career. And so, you know, I'm sure he can help someone. I'm sure he can help someone in 2022. If I was the Toronto Blue Jays, I would not be in a hurry to make sure that person was me. Those are the things that are kind of at odds with each other with Jonathan VR, right? Is that like outside of that stretch in Toronto, he's actually been really productive. Like he's yeah. actually been a solid big leaguer in a lot of ways. Like not not a very good defender, but a guy who brings you some speed and a guy whose bat has been perfectly fine at the big league level. Like Blue Jays fans just saw up close and personal like what has to be the worst month of Jonathan VR's last three years. And like not just like statistically either, like as you mentioned, aesthetically like watching it, you know, he was freelancing. Like he didn't seem particularly yeah. connected with the team or what yes. they were doing. Again, from a distance, but like <laughs> we all saw it. So here's the other thing though, right? So what the reported offer I think was a year and six million bucks. I think Hector Gomez had that. Man, sometimes the value is too good as a front office. Like sometimes you look at one year, six million bucks for Jonathan VR and you're like, yeah, we're going to do VR plus fine like we'll just take vr on that money because that value is really good for vr honestly like that is like really good value for him if you get it like think about it this way so let's do a little game <laughs> called player a and player b all okay. right great player a player b are both middle infielders they're okay. both second baseman shortstops they can play either one they're both like 29 30 years old right around there right they've both been durable over the last three seasons well over 300 games well over 300 plate appearances right so that's that those are similarities between these two players middle infielders durable 29 30 years old player a has over the last three years an ops plus of 99 and a fan graphs war of 5.7 player b OPS plus of 106, so seven points higher than the OPS mm-hmm. plus of player A, and a Fangraphs war of 7.8, so mm-hmm. essentially two wins higher than player A. Player A, Jonathan VR. Yeah. Player B, Javi Baez. Wow. Just saying. So wow. is Jonathan VR as good of a ball player as Javi Baez? Absolutely freaking not. Yeah. Would I much rather have Javi Baez 1,000 yeah. times out of 1,000? Way better defender. I mentioned aesthetically, like way more fun to watch. Yeah. Um, like obviously, like the, the swing and miss is like absurd and insane and has to catch up with them at some point. But the point that I'm making is that like just value-wise over the last three years, 
VR has not been that far behind Bias. Only two wins behind him via Fangrass War. Only seven points behind him via OPS+. Bias got like six years, 140. To get VR at one year, six, Just if you just take the names out of it and everything out of it and just look at pure value, I could see why a front office would be like, that's pretty good value. It's kind of hard to turn that down. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. I can see it. Um, that's a, that's an interesting comparison for sure. I think, man, like the Javi Baez deal, like he definitely makes the Tigers good better now, which is really important. And they're a team on the rise, and that's that's nice for them short term. Long term, like you say, with the swing and miss, I just I have concerns over how that deal is going to age four or five years from now. But that's a that's another story. I think when it comes to VR. You're right. I mean, he's worth a roster spot. You know, if you're rounding out a bench and you have the option of, I don't know, Josh Palacios or Jonathan VR, one of those guys has shown he can hit major league pitching and the other one hasn't. So I get it. You know, if you're rounding out a bench, you want to have options. VR does some things. I just would not set out to do it. You know, I would would explore other avenues first. Yeah. (laughs) He's yeah. not, but at a year, six million, man, like, because even then, if you cut bait halfway through the year, it's like, all right, whatever. We spent three million bucks on him and it didn't go that well. And we're going to spend three million bucks for him to go away. Like, you're six yeah. million, like, you know, what was like Yamaguchi earning per year? Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's, it's a, it's not a small amount of money, but it's not a substantial one either. And like, look, it's not for nothing. Jonathan VR in 2019, 107 weighted runs created plus in 2021. 105 weighted runs created plus in substantial playing time too brings along a bunch of stolen bases in that time too right like it brings along a bunch of counting statistics that you know i don't know you can like argue whether you know those he put those up on some like not great teams right and always has when has he contributed to a winner right into a winning culture like are you going to make that argument certainly but like i'm just saying like i you know i'm open-minded and i see it I, I huh. could see how a how a team could get there. So you would make the offer one at six point five. Depends on the context of my budget, how much money yeah. to, to I have to work with. If it's VR plus, yeah, thinking about it. Right? Yeah, thinking about it, I'm building out more depth. I don't know that I'm yeah. handing him an everyday role, right? No, 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 no. no. Um, yeah, but as a bench you know, piece, as a bench piece, yeah, one year six million dollars. What's worse could happen? And you look at, you know, so what is what does $6 million get you in free agency? Like we saw another Blue Jays fan favorite, Brad Hand, sign for that exact amount, if I'm right. not mistaken. So, you know, it's just, you're not getting the impact players for that price. You're just not. But I don't know. Still, it just doesn't land with me. I just, maybe <laughs> it's, it's you know, I don't know what specific bias it would be, but I guess like... Uh, it's because you saw not, it, right? Yeah, you it's, saw it's it. availability saw it bias, I guess. Yeah, And it was like, hard to watch. It was awful. It, yeah. So I just think I would be a no. I don't know. I, that's a very not, maybe that's irrational. I just, I think I would be a no. What do you think about Josh Donaldson being a New York Yankee? What do you think about that? I think it's interesting. Um, I mean, <laughs> I it? think, so, you know, it's interesting, right? Like we're talking about team players in VR who historically have thrived in environments where the team hasn't done as well baltimore milwaukee like he's been on some teams that that have been losing teams miami maybe that's a coincidence you know like it's baseball is a game where you can have all kinds of people working together and maybe we just saw vr in a bad month okay that happens so i don't know 
But at the same time, you look at that in contrast to Josh Donaldson. And Donaldson is someone who has been in winning environments and who does really well in, in winning environments. And in talking to people over the years who, you know, Donaldson himself, people close to Donaldson, he is viewed as someone who is much better in winning oh, yeah. environments than losing yeah. environments. And of course, you can kind of say that about anyone, but there are certain people and maybe, you know, I don't know, like maybe Marcus Semyon is one of them where he is just going to be extremely prepared in any circumstance. He can go to Texas, losing team, bring his discipline, bring his focus, thrive. I can see that. Same guy at the ballpark every Same day, guy. no matter what is happening. And Josh Donaldson is going to always prepare. He's going to always try. Um, he's going to, but but just like, his vibe, like he gets, and I would, he would say this too, I'm pretty sure, like he just starts kind of losing it if the team is losing. <laughs> like he just kind of, he's, he kind of, like it doesn't go as well. And with the Yankees, there is such a structure there and there is such a winning culture. I think he's going to be a great fit there. And of course, there's the calf, there's the health questions. You know, we don't know how, how often he's going to be able to take the field, but when he's on the field, like I think he's going to be really good and I think he's going to love it. Yeah, I mean, as if you needed to add any more juice to like the Blue Jays Yankees series this season, let's just drop Josh Donaldson right <laughs> into the middle of it. And you and I, Ben, are going to sit back and watch those fireworks, right? You yeah. do, everything you, that you just said, plus the fact this is a guy who loves hitting Rogers Center, like has always produced there in various uniforms, loves sticking it to the Blue Jays just considering how his exit went but also like he's josh donaldson so he just kind of loves sticking it to everyone right like that's just kind of the personality that's the sandpaper that he brings to the game like this is just gonna be awesome to watch other than the fact he has to shave and oh by the way like watch josh donaldson go off as a yankee like watch him be another one of these guys who like looks like they're getting over the hill and like looks like, you know, getting in the mid late thirties and maybe aren't that guy anymore who then like land in New York and suddenly have these sort of like late career renaissance, like Carlos Beltran at 38, 39 seasons or um like, like Brian McCann was like really useful for the Yankees late into his career. Chris Young had like a big late career season with the Yankees. I, like, I yeah. think Encarnacion like wasn't terrible with the Yankees. I think he was Didn't useful Matt Holiday. I think Matt Holiday yeah. had a really big year, like after his Cardinals Rockies days. Yeah, right. Um, you know, obviously like A Rod Teixeira, guys like that. Like it's just it's just kind of a time honored tradition that the Yankees find these super veteran dudes, and just something about their environment just allows them, and maybe it's their ballpark as well, just allows them to just have these great sort of last hurrah seasons. Watch Josh Donaldson like get that explosiveness back right because he's clearly he's, he's lost a little bit from his heyday obviously as would be expected right this isn't 15 16 donaldson watch him get those hips firing in his swing again and just shoot some absolute missiles all over yankee stadium and uh, then come to toronto and have some really big series against the blue jays it's just going to be fun to watch the competition yeah to me i like i see donaldson as a guy who plays 110 games for them like i definitely don't see a full season from him but when he's out there, I think he's going to be really good. I think that, you know, DH, third base, I, I, I could see him OPSing 850 to 875 with 25 to 30 homers in that short period of time. Like, I think I think the bat's still there. And so I, I like it. I think it's really interesting, not only from Donaldson's standpoint, but then to get Gary Sanchez out of New York, um, you know, defensively, as I mentioned before, the Yankees infield has some questions now. So I'm not sure how that's going to play out. But the Yankees can't be done. I mean, I, they might be on the fringes of the Freeman stuff. 
depending on how that unfolds in the next few days. But they should be in on Correa. You know, they should be in on Story if they don't get Correa. I still think there's room to add an infielder. And then if kind of left is coming off your bench or, you know, if if there's another move that has to be made, you trade Luke Voigt or whatever the case, I think you can do that and make the pieces fit. So this is quite literally breaking right now as we record. So I don't know if we have enough time to react to it, but Matt Olson is going to be an Atlanta Brave. So Freddie Freeman is not. Matt Olson to the Braves Whoa. for uh, a massive package. And yeah, Freddie Freeman is not going back to the Braves. No. Matt Olson is an Atlanta Brave, which means Freddie Freeman could be a New York Yankee. Um, means he could go and play for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Dodger means maybe you don't close the book on uh, close the door on the Toronto Blue Jays as an option. Wow. Wow. My guess is we see Freddie Freeman to the Dodgers within 12 hours. I wouldn't be surprised. I think that's the most likely thing. But, you know, it'd be interesting if there's a way to fit him in with the Blue Jays. <laughs> it definitely would. I would not complain about that lineup. I was thinking about this the other day, right? Because I get, you know, it's because it doesn't look, there's the positional fit isn't there. We've been over it, right? Like it doesn't make sense for a million reasons, but it does make sense when you kind of think about like the returns on adding another elite hitter to an already deep lineup of elite hitters like what's the opposite of a diminishing return like that's kind of what freddie freeman would do for the blue jays like it would be an exponential return right like it would just compound the interest because it's just like it's fewer outs in your lineup it's a better plate appearance ahead of and behind your other hitters it wears down the starting pitcher that you're facing it wears down the bullpen it forces them to throw more pitches it allows the guys on your bench to see more pitches you kind of see that when you add like a really good hitter to an already really good and deep lineup like it just has this like progressive trickle down effect on other players like there are knock on effects there that's why Schwarber like makes some sense to me because like yeah you'd be taking a hit on defense in left field i imagine assuming he's going to play left field though it's not like lourdes Gurriel jr gold glove uh, candidate lourdes Gurriel jr by the way uh is you know anybody's uh idea of you know a defensive gem in left he, field he's uh, not a good defender he is not right. a good defender the jays the jays clearly believe that with their decisions and neither is cal schorber is the thing right yeah. but so you know you you you're not putting out your best outfield defense, but you're adding Kyle Schorber's bat to the lineup. So you're adding like four, five, six, you know, pitches of plate appearance to the lineup. Like you are, you know, adding that approach um, and that grind that you put starting pitchers through. Like I always hear this from pitchers and like, it's kind of, it's like, it's a hard thing to quantify, but you know, pitchers talk about all the time is how there aren't breaks in the Blue Jays lineup, you know, especially last year, how there just wasn't like, you know, it was like you would get through that gauntlet of like Springer, Teoscar, Vlad, Bo, Simeon, etc. And then you would get to like Alejandro Kirk, who just puts his barrel all over yeah. everything. And you get to Lourdes Gurriel Jr., who can get his bat to all kinds of stuff around the zone. Like how there just wasn't like a soft spot. There wasn't an area where as a pitcher you could like catch your breath and breathe. Like you were just in these battles and just in these like grinded out like fights throughout the lineup and i do think like there is an intangible impact there to adding a really like discerning good professional um patient good swing decision hitter to a lineup like that i, I think there's a carryover effect to other players it's really hard to put 
a statistic on, but that is real. Well, and, and it has been quantified for sure. I mean, there's that's I don't have the numbers in front of me, but there is a quantifiable advantage to having a lineup that's really stacked with good hitters. And the Jays had that last year. And I mean, yeah, like you think about Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Okay, he's not a great defender. Well, neither is Kyle Schwarber. That's okay. You know, Freddie Freeman's a first baseman. Like you're not basing your defensive plans around him either. But the same with Vlad, you know, that's okay. You can have these guys who are limited defensively and get away with it because your offense is going to be that good. Your pitching staff is good. And then up the middle, obviously you have to, you have to be good. And that's where, you know, Danny Jansen, his continued development worth watching this year, he's going to be a huge defensive centerpiece for this team. And then up the middle, you know, there's still a question as to who's playing second base. That's a key position. Bo was continued development at short. And then what can Springer bring? Because you need to be strong up the middle. And right now, the Jays project more as like a starting pitching and offense team, but every little advantage they can get defensively will help. It's like we talked about, you know, last season here, but all oh, the Blue Jays lineup, it's, you know, it's too similar, right? It's too many right-handed guys who, uh, you know, have a ton of power, but, you know, maybe don't get on base as much as you'd like to. Oh, are they too similar? Well, I don't know. They scored a hundred or like 800 and what, 50 runs or something like that. Like if you get to 850 runs on the season, does it really matter how those runs get there? Like, does the process really matter when that's the result? Whatever it takes to get you to like your 110 to 115 weighted runs created plus as a team does it matter how you get there just get there right and then now all of a sudden you're scoring a ton of runs like you said you know your pitching is going to be better you've like gosman barrios manoa ryu now kikuchi and like the depth of your starting pitching is a lot better as well when you're layering in like a stripling and a pearson Guys like, uh, you know, unheralded guys like a Logue and a Francis who like aren't going to blow you away, but can come up and give you a capable back end start. You know, you're you're not looking at like the Buddy Boshears of this world anymore, right? Like you were looking at somebody who's going to come in and should be able to give you a quality big league outing. Like just add the offense. Who cares what it looks like? Just get your runs and uh, let the rest take care of itself. Yeah. And you look at the the kind of totality of where the Jays are at pending, you know, more, more moves and not only for them, but for other teams and the Jays are, they're in a really good spot. Like they're, I'd say the Yankees and Rays and White Sox and Astros belong in this conversation too, but the Jays are one of the best teams in the American league. So that's a really good place to be money to spend. Haven't traded a single prospect this off season of significance. And you know, they're, they're set up to do some really interesting things. I think in the next few months. All right, we should get out of here before anything else happens. Chad Cool just signed as well. That was a guy who I thought the Blue Jays should pick up for their for their bullpen. But where'd he go? He went to Colorado. So uh, <laughs> good luck with that. Uh, but maybe they're going <laughs> to let him be a starter. That was probably the opportunity he was looking at to be a starter. I wanted the Blue Jays to get Chad Cool to pitch out of their bullpen because he's got some like really wicked stuff that I think could have played up in a bullpen role that he started working on uh, with the Pirates last season. But uh, alas, was not to be. They'll have to go with one of my many other great ideas uh you are ben nicholson smith you're on twitter at b nicholson smith my name's arden swelling i'm on twitter at arden swelling our producers this week were christian ryan and nick andrade we want to thank them a lot uh as we said atl every week from here on out baseball season has started atl season has started a lot of stuff coming your way we're going to be in dunedin shortly uh producing lots of cool stuff with blue jays that uh we're excited about just excited for the season man ben we're here it's happening that's right yeah thanks to everyone for listening and glad that uh anyone who's who's on for the first time thanks for joining us a lot in the works as arden said and until next time talk to you later on at the letters <laughs>